know, not everyone's going to be successful and not everyone is cut out for every job, obviously. But that gets back to that relationship with your manager to help that person progress or the jump program I spoke about earlier and how is that integrated or changing with the strategy of the company. So it's those type of programs that have to be integrated because what you don't want to do is someone just going externally and go get another degree. And that puts them out in the market, so to speak, for someone now to poach them, where I would prefer to have those and those programs internally and then grow that person into a bigger role if that's what they want to do. Hello and welcome to The Talent Blueprint, your guide to building a talent-first company. Today features an interview with Alan Winters, Chief People Officer and Chief Diversity Officer at Teleperformance Group. The Talent Blueprint is brought to you by Beamery. Beamery's talent lifecycle management platform makes it possible for companies to deliver more human talent experiences and unlock the skills and potential of their global workforce using industry-leading AI. Hello and welcome to this week's installment of the Talent Blueprint. I'm your host, Sultan Seidov, and today I am delighted to welcome Alan Winters to our podcast today. Alan, great to see you. How are you? Thank you. Good morning. I'm doing great. Thanks. Nice to chat with you today. Well, we have a ton of exciting topics to cover today, Alan. First, I'd love for you to introduce yourself and to tell us a little bit of what you do as the Chief People and Chief Diversity Officer at the Teleperformance Group. We'd love to hear about the work that you're doing there. Sure. Yeah, so my name's Alan Winters. I'm the Chief People Officer and Diversity Officer for Teleperformance Group. So we are a global BPO company. We operate in almost 90 countries with 430,000 people around the world. And I'm responsible for the HR, learning development, diversity, process improvement function for the company. It's an interesting time to have the breadth of responsibilities that cover both learning, diversity, people in a world where we've seen employee expectations changing so much over the last three years. We're starting to see a lot of people's roles and responsibilities changing within the talent function. Tell me a bit about what the biggest opportunities have been for you in your role since you joined. What did it look like when you started and how has that evolved as you've been within the organization? Yeah, actually, you raise a really interesting question. The past three years for most companies have seen certainly a incremental increase in transformational activities. For us, specifically around the people function, as I mentioned, we operate in 87, 88 countries around the world. And if you think about what's happened during the pandemic and movement to work at home and the really balance and shift of activity between employer to employee, it really drove many companies to do things that they really hadn't thought about doing in the past. Thankfully, with Teleperformance, we're a people business. So people are what we do based for servicing for our clients. And many of the transformational activities that we really accelerated were already underway. We call work at home cloud campus and you know, enable our employees to work where they live and love where they work, so to speak. And that just accelerated for us. But that added a lot of complexities, a lot of challenges over the past three years and adapting how you manage our remote workforce, as an example, how you keep what we call high tech and high touch balance in a distant or remote working environment to keep people engaged and excited etc. And so that's really where we've been focusing a lot of time and attention over the past few years. Cloud campus. I haven't heard that term before, but I love the way you put it. I think you said live where you love, love where you work. 
it's a strong statement to have had prior to entering this sort of environment and a strong mindset. What When you mentioned that things started to accelerate into that direction, what were some of the initiatives that you doubled down on as things started to go remote? And what does that look like in the last year, as I imagine there's been some return to the sort of pre-2020 ways of working? Yeah, another interesting question. So we have lower attrition, higher productivity, In our employee satisfaction surveys, we actually see higher satisfaction from our work-at-home agents, as you would expect. And we saw that peak during the pandemic, but we've not seen that drastically change post-pandemic operations. Our belief is, the reason for that is, we truly believe that we're a people company and the cloud campus suite of technology we've put in place enables us, similar to what we're doing right now, but enables us to stay connected with our people, even though it's in a remote process. So whether that's the recruiting function, training, learning development, ongoing performance management or production operational management and what we do every single day, it's all enabled through this suite of technologies enable us to stay connected or engage with our people. What's been the most rewarding initiative that you've been involved with or run within your your people function in the time that you've been there? For such a people-centric organization, I imagine that there is ongoing listening, learning, evolution. What have you found particularly satisfying? So I'll talk about a couple of things. And we call this process our continual listening process. So historically, many companies have done an engagement survey or annual employee satisfaction survey The process is you check in with your people once a year, you get feedback, develop action plans, but you don't really know if you made any improvement until next year. And frankly, in that process, by the time you ask the people that, you've already lost a year of driving change. So what we implemented, which is prior to the pandemic, was a continual listening process where we're looking at and implemented a suite of technologies that allow us to near real-time net happiness score, how are you feeling today? Simple, thumbs up, thumbs down, smiley face, frown face, and why? Or ongoing in-depth survey processing on a weekly, monthly, or quarterly basis. All of that then builds, to answer your question, where we focused on, with a true external view, to validate how we think we're doing with our people. And that's through a great place to work. Our trust index scores are some of the highest in the industry. And all that culminates from a best place to work list. Second year in a row, we've made the top 25 list. Year one last year, we were number 25 across any company in the world. This year, we got on the list at, at number 11. And as a result, I'm also seeing attrition drop as well because of that environment that we've created. It's an amazing external validation, making it to 11th place, especially in this environment, companies that are making a positive rise in experience. It's impressive to see. In this topic of how you hold yourself accountable, obviously the external validation and the external accountability is very powerful. What else do you look at outside of satisfaction when it comes to the yardsticks of success? Are there things that you're looking at in terms of people's development or productivity? Uh, What are the the parameters that are most important to you? So we, we call that as part of our employee engagement suite. So 
this listening is one piece of that. But I'll look at, we have a program called Jump that allows our employees to pick a career path, whichever they would like to do. And here's a set of learnings that we can provide for them to be ready for that next promotional opportunity when one of those roles open up. And that's completely up to each individual person to decide on their journey and what their career path needs to be. And that could be going from an agent to workforce management or a call center manager or into sales or IT or HR or any of those functions. So that's one. Diversity inclusion certainly is another significant piece with employee resource groups that we have. We also have external, we call for fun festivals. This is a global program under four or five themes where people can express themselves, whether it's through art or music or singing or dance. And during pandemic, we had remote competitions where we would select winners from each country and then a global winner. And then that's on our website. And But just another way for people to express themselves outside of the typical day-to-day working environment. And then we have our community service programs where people can, we, we feel very strongly that we want to contribute in the communities in which we work and live around the world. And there's many opportunities for people to, if this is what they would want to do, to do that outreach as well. This takes us nicely to our next segment, the journey. You've talked about a lot of programs that you guys clearly very successfully run from the ERG groups, which I'd also love to dig into, not just from an employee perspective, but from how you use that within your broader talent attraction strategy and how that's evolved. And clearly there's lots of full fun programs and other things that must have been particularly impactful in the last couple of years where that sense of community must have been harder than usual to maintain. Where have you run into frictions when trying to roll out programs like this, or even within existing programs like ERG or learning or full fun? Have there been things that have run into change management challenges, getting people on board with the evolution of such programs? Where has that been a potential challenge for you over the years that you've been within the company? I feel really thankful that I work for an organization that truly does value people. In terms of implementing these type of programs, not much friction. From a change management perspective and how you do that in a distributed work environment, whether it's a global company in 80 plus countries or that balance between work at home and brick and mortar, that's where the friction comes in. So one program design in that type of distributed work environment does not work, which means the transformational activities of how you design the programs, thinking about how people would interact, that's where the challenge really comes in because it's not a one size fits all, nor can it ever be if it's a truly engaging program. The search for talent today is more competitive than ever before, especially the past 18 months, because most candidates, regardless of the job level, are going to have two or three opportunities they're looking at at once. So that means the value proposition, the engagement activity how fast you can get through the talent process and or the recruiting process and present an offer, that's a differentiator. And that means technology process, the change management, getting people used to working in that fast environment to normal to in order for you to be there first from a position or job perspective that adds the most value, that's the most exciting for that candidate. That's been one of the biggest challenges for us to work through. 
so building on that question of change management and going back to the diversity side of things, one of the things that we have seen organizations struggle with is giving an authentic experience to their external candidates when it comes to the true diversity experience within the companies. How have you thought about the embedding of your diversity strategy across the talent lifecycle? And are there other strategies that you've deployed or experimented over the years in embedding DNI into the broader people programs that you run? Yeah, great question. So we started really looking at it from an analytical perspective over the past couple of three years. And what I mean by that is, again, if you think about teleperformance, we're in almost 90 countries. The, the word diversity, the definition means something very different in each country. And the look and feel of that program needs to be something very different in each country. So it can't be an Anglo definition of diversity in Europe or Cairo or South Africa or the Philippines, as an example, right? So what that means is, and how we've approached that is looking at it from that perspective. So I have analytical reporting. If I'm going to do an executive hire, as an example, whoever the hiring executive is, what's the diversity makeup of that team? And then how do we take that and implement that into the search function? Now, we will always hire the right person for the job because we need to do the job. But there are programs that you can put in place to ensure you have the right diversity representation in the talent process to make sure you can make the right decision, the right person for the job, plus the diversity aspect as well. And that's really the program that we put in place. And that's a challenge. There is no doubt about that whether it's the change management challenge with the embedded workforce or how you then go out into the marketplace and you work with specific firms that specialize in diversity search or to where you were going, your question, how you take our programs and make that real for candidates in our mass hiring process at the frontline level in our websites and our interview process. That's really where we've been focused to make this real across the entire span, whether it's a frontline interview or an EVP we're hiring in some location globally. You mentioned the challenges that arise from being in almost 90 countries. Where have you seen in the last three years, and maybe even more recently, now that we're entering a more economically turbulent environment, there being some regionally specific challenges that you're having to lean into? And what are some of the differences that are arising regionally? I would answer that in two ways. If I look at our frontline hiring, it's really going to be fairly equal, which is everybody is looking at the same resource to hire. If I look at more technical focus like technology or digital transformation type hiring, which is where a lot of companies are moving because they're transforming their businesses, those jobs are very difficult to hire. Certainly in the US, even now in India, although we're having pretty good success at that, but that is a challenge that everybody needs to keep in the forefront because most companies, in order to be relevant today, they're transforming their business, whether they were forced to because of the pandemic or whatever their business model or strategy is over the next few years. Or another way to think about it is if you operate your business the way you did four years ago, that's no longer relevant, whether it's candidate recruiting or how you provide service to your customer, whoever that customer may be, all of that requires 
technology, technologists, and that resource is becoming very scarce. It's an interesting question, how much things have changed in four years and how much they'll change again in the next four years when it comes to what you're describing around the skills that you need, the increasing need for technology skill sets within a lot of traditional roles. But it's not just technology skills that are changing. It's also the sense of what does the future of the right employee profile look like as a new generations come into the workforce? I know that you've written a lot about topics like culture fit and emotional intelligence. How do you think about the assessment processes to both progress people and select people evolving in this newly digitized world in a world where these parameters, both from a soft skill perspective and a culture fit perspective, are evolving in parallel? How, how have you been thinking about that in terms of your selection and performance and development practices? Yeah, really interesting topic. We've been thinking a lot about how do you integrate this notion of emotional intelligence in the work environment? Or another way to think about it is, how do you assess for that? And how do you know that assessment actually accurately reflects somebody's ability to use their emotional intelligence skills and what they do every day? And I would tell you that's becoming even more important in a distributed and remote work environment. So as we're talking right now, it's not a face-to-face in terms of in front of each other where you get that connected, strong connectedness feel. You can, whether it's body language or, or whatever that is, and you can understand how people are thinking or feeling or receiving whatever you're telling them. So that's a really hard thing to overcome in a distributed work environment. And we've spent a lot of time, we've incorporated emotional intelligence, validated assessment activity in our hiring process to help account for that. And we're doing analytical work now to validate that to what does that mean in terms of when somebody's actually on the job and performance and interaction. And then if you couple that with this whole change management and transformational mindset in our company, it's really throughout the entire organization. That adds another level of that requirement. So it's really what I like to call the what and the how. So I'm equally interested in what someone gets accomplished in terms of the goals and objectives as much as I am is in how they get that accomplished. And that how is where the emotional intelligence aspect comes in, whether that's influence skills and interworking or interpersonal skills or how you deliver a message, et cetera. That's all just as important in today's world or that high-tech, high-touch aspect that I talked about earlier. As you talk about the transformational mindset that you need within the organization, It feels to me that there's also an increased onus for managers to reassess some of the frameworks they'd use to help people develop talent and what it must be to be a successful manager in an environment where there's these extra parameters to people's success, whether it's in terms of evolving skills or in terms of emotional intelligence. And I know that you've talked in the past about the importance of trust and the trust hierarchy as a component of creating the right management structures and frameworks. Can you tell me a little bit more about that and how that fits into this sense of an emerging landscape of people's development? Yeah, the way I look at that from a trust perspective, and that's a really interesting word because it means something different for everybody. But 
if it, you think about the uh, manager and the team member relationship, there's the trust aspect of that, especially from a development perspective, is that I would argue that somebody's career development is a 50-50 share. So me as a manager, I have a responsibility to the person on my team just as much as the person on the team has a responsibility to manage their own career development and process. So if you think about normal coaching opportunities, I can help the person recognize if that's not recognized where those opportunities are. And opportunities is not a bad word. It's just an opportunity to grow. And they have the same responsibility to help be self-aware enough to understand where those opportunities are. Then together, you work on improving, overcoming, or whatever whatever adjective you want, want to use in setting what that goal is. So where, where do you want to go? And there's a lot of trust that goes in that. And frankly, from a change perspective, that can be scary. But if you don't have that trust built up in that relationship, you really can't help each other get where you want to go. I love that 50-50 mindset centered around trust that you describe. It reminds me of something we've seen with the customers we have that have been most successful in rolling out more career mobility and more employee engagement with internal development and how much that centers on transparency, showing people options, who to speak to, how to have those conversations. How do we show people where they can develop themselves based on where the company is heading, the types of roles that might exist in the next couple of years versus what exists in the past? How do you show people that they might want to develop certain skills in order to open up opportunities? How do you think about that side of skills transparency and the sort of emerging world of roles as part of that manager-employee conversation and development? Yeah, I would say that's critical and it has to be integrated. So another way to think about it is if the company sets its five-year strategy saying we want to be X in five years, whether that's growth or transformed or Six Sigma or analytical or, or whatever that is, and then you look at what developmental programs you have in place. And we have academies for managers and directors or in our learning management program, what type of training you can have LinkedIn learning as an example, that should be linked. So if my career path is chosen that I want to be wherever that transformational activity is happening, hopefully you have integrated programs to help people get there. Now, not everyone's going to be successful and not everyone is cut out for every job, obviously. But that gets back to that relationship with your manager to help that person progress or the jump program I spoke about earlier. And how is that integrated or changing with the strategy of the company? So it's those type of programs that have to be integrated because uh, what you don't want to do is someone just going externally and go get another degree. And that puts them out in the market, so to speak, for someone now to poach them where I would prefer to have those and those programs internally and then grow that person into a bigger role if that's what they want to do. No, for sure. And as you say, the integration and transparency of that five-year plan to help people navigate that is so key and something a lot of organizations struggle to do in part because it's also a culture change. It's a change from the way things tended to operate 10, 20 years ago where 
those sort of company strategic plans were done in separation from people in HR strategy. You'd have the decisions running out of the executive team and finance would form, you know, three-year plans and headcount plans, and that would sort of percolate down into more operational things that would happen within the people function. And clearly for you guys, you've been ahead of the curve in having a more integrated approach. But I imagine there are still things that you're having to think about as changes in expectations for the role of managers and people leaders in creating that integrated visibility into where things are heading. Uh, Are there components, if you think five years out, that you expect to keep changing culturally, that, that with either within your organization or within the company as a whole? Yeah. So we look at this more as a journey versus a destination, right? So one of the things that is actually really cool about teleperformance is we're constantly in a transformational state, which means that end goal of that journey over the next three to five years changes. The overall strategy is there, but kind of maybe how you're going to get there is going to change. And that could be a technology change, process change, or certainly even a geographical change of where we're going to expand next, et cetera. So the programs have to adapt. And one way to make that real for people is that you post every job opportunity. You know what those jobs are. You know where they are. And if you think about what I talked about before from our jump program, if that job's open or those type of jobs open, how do I, if I'm not qualified today, how do I get qualified? That all has to be integrated. Now, we're not perfect by any stretch and we're a very large company. And as I mentioned, this is a journey for us. So we're continually improving that to ensure that our people are aware of all the opportunities. But that's one way to help make that real. Absolutely. And you uh, seem to be ahead of the curve on something we're starting to see HR leaders embracing now, a a bigger focus on mobility, even gigs and other internal opportunities to help create that opportunity for people to try things out. Well, in, in the spirit of talking about what's five years out, if we zoom out beyond your own organization and we think about what's changed in the broader HR ecosystem or how people approach talent, if we're to take an optimistic lens to the future, what do you think will have changed? Where do you think things are heading? I definitely think there will be more integration of technology to help. And I I would define the talent landscape in two ways, the recruiting and hiring aspect, the speed piece and the value proposition piece, and then the internal developmental talent and how you use technology to help with that whether it's a new HRIS tool, a new learning management system, gamifying training to make it more exciting based on the new generation of people you're hiring. So another way to think about this, if you're conducting new hire training in a classroom with an instructor and 20 people there and the instructor is reading from a training manual, that's 40 years old, although a lot of companies are still doing that, that's not engaging where if you gamify self-based training, especially in a remote environment, you have to have all of those programs enabled for someone to be successful. And I would say in five years from now, I would argue that most training is gonna be self-paced or certainly computer-based, gamified. And then on the hiring side, if you're not thinking today, that you can get someone from job application to job offer in less than two days. 
and job offer to job start as well as offer a blended either a hybrid or a fully work at home model that's where i think the industry is going and then on top of that we call this beyond borders so just because you live in one country does not mean you can't work for an organization in another country or another culture that five years from now i think is where most multinational or global companies need to go and that opens up your talent pool globally versus thinking very narrowly about the geography whether that's a city or a province or even a country level you've got to be thinking way past that and what that really is going to look like from that global workforce in the next five years I completely agree with you. And I think the themes that you've touched on, whether it's the gamification of learning or the acceptance of a more global talent pool, also naturally create more inclusion and creates a greater focus on skills and self-development. I'll just end by saying, thank you, Alan. It's been such a pleasure hosting you and really appreciate those insights. There's not many folks that run such a global organization across almost 90 countries and have been through so many successes. So really appreciate you sharing those stories. It was my pleasure. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much for the time. The Talent Blueprint is brought to you by Beamery. Beamery's talent lifecycle management platform makes it possible for enterprises to drive more human talent experiences and unlock the skills and potential of their global workforce with industry-leading AI. Beamery optimizes every step of the talent lifecycle, from sourcing and identifying talent with the right skills and potential, to building and marketing your employment brand, creating an internal talent marketplace, and mobilizing your employees through getting the reporting and talent insights that you need to make better decisions about your workforce. Are you ready to unlock your talent? Learn more at beamery.com.